0: That's invest H E R, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100 best ever to get $100 off your ticket.
1: Be really good at saying no to stuff. Your time is your most valuable commodity. And I know a lot of people sort of say that, but it's really, really true.
0: As a loyal best ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R dot com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Farrelis. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Matthew Shadbolt. How you doing, Matthew?
1: Hi, Joe. Great to be here with you.
0: Well, I'm glad that you are excited to be here and looking forward to diving in. Matthew is Inman's chief product and marketing officer. He oversees all growth, user experience, product, off-platform brand development, and marketing initiatives for the company. He is a longtime supporter of Inman's journalism and events, and he works closely with the editorial team to shape and enhance the reader experience. Also, they just wrapped up a Capital Connect event that we're going to be talking a little bit about. And with that being said, Matthew, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
1: Yeah, sure. I've been with Inman for about six months. I've been a longtime friend of the brand, but moved across into a more formalized role with Inman as the chief product and marketing officer about six months ago. Before that, I was at the New York Times around the real estate section there for the New York Times for almost four years, which was a ton of fun. Obviously, there's like tremendous amount of change going on inside of that news organization. And it was fantastic opportunity to be part of that, especially through the election cycle, as I'm sure you can imagine. Yep. Just sort of see that engine work from the inside. Was, was an incredible experience. And then before that, I was almost 10 years in the brokerage world where I headed up digital for the Corcoran Group here in
0: Manhattan. Okay. Let's talk about your experience at New York Times. Then we'll spend most of our time talking about your experience at Inman. With New York Times, you wrote the real estate section for four years. How do you decide what to write about?
1: I wasn't on the editorial side. So I served as like the general manager of the section. So I worked really closely with the journalists, but I'm not a journalist. So I worked on the business side, on the growth side, So a lot of what we saw there was really this tremendous transformation of the newsroom from not thinking so much about the production of a printed newspaper to more about the use of data, the smart use of audience insights, and the general sort of muscle building that the newsroom needed to go through in order to really sort of significantly modernize. And I saw that accelerate at a tremendous pace while I was there. So I was a huge part of how the real estate desk within the newsroom. Started to really think about what was resonating with users outside of just anecdotal stuff that they would hear on a Monday morning after people had read the paper on a Sunday. So a lot of use of data, a lot of modernizing of sort of process and practice, and then building tools and building services around that journalism to help people really understand and sort of bring to life the journalism's stories. And then. Ultimately, rolling all of that up into the business and making sure that we could monetize that from the sales perspective, either through sponsorships or native content or any kind of other sort of articulation of how a brokerage may want to reach this particular audience.
0: What tended to resonate with the users?
1: That's a really good question.
0: Glad I asked.
1: Yeah, it usually goes two ways. There's like the recreational stuff. So it's the sort of what we affectionately refer to as floor plan porn. So... (laughs) super high-end, really bonkers listings, amazing homes, celebrity homes, things like that. Things that you would imagine sort of like on like an HGTV or sort of like the e-channel, something like that. So like the really like sort of trophy, voyeuristic kind of homes. That stuff always did really well, but it was great at getting like scale of audience, but it wasn't very good at retaining audience
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so the retention of the audience is the much more interesting thing from the business perspective just getting people to come back over and over again because they want to sort of consume the content and the content is helpful for them so the idea of like service journalism became really really powerful for us as a team inside of the new york times so the more helpful we could be the more we could sort of dispel myths, provide guidance and insight, really sort of hold the user's hand through, here's the nightmare of renting in Manhattan and Brooklyn, and here's how you can navigate it, here's how we can help this kind of stuff. The service journalism was really where we landed in terms of the stuff that perpetually brought people back to the website over and over again. And there's a very large set of initiatives at the New York Times around service. So a tremendously successful cooking product where you can learn to cook, or you can just search recipes, that kind of thing. A similar product for movie and TV recommendations. Mm -hmm. But informally, sort of inside the New York Times, it's called The Guide to Adulting. So it was like how to get a mortgage, how to think about buying your first house, how to think about wealth management, all of these kind of things that like grownups do. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) like, Nobody really teaches you at school, right? So it became a lot of this sort of service-oriented journalism, and it became very, very popular, an incredibly powerful tactic for retaining subscribers Mm -hmm. and growing subscribers. So it's really powerful on the acquisition and retention front.
0: So you've got some candy that you offer them to come into the Times, and that's the recreational stuff, and then you give them some vegetables once they're there, and you feed their mind, not only their instant gratification sensors, how do you determine what ratio you should do candy to vegetables?
1: That's a good question. I should clarify this. Ultimately, people are at the New York Times to read the news, right? People are not specifically coming to sort of seek out the recipes or do the crossword or whatever. Like The primary function of the New York Times is to report the news. But there's other things that users do in their lives that the New York Times provides and historically provided a lot of advice on. So it's not all just sort of candy and vegetables. There's like all this stuff that I'm talking about sort of wraps around this core experience of like explaining what. Mm -hmm. But I think over time, one of the things you realize is it's not really like candy. It's more like fast food. It sort of tastes really good, but then you're hungry again, like 30 minutes later, right? This sort of quick hit of audience. You can get very sort of seduced by that, I think. And a lot of news organization really sort of Grapple with this idea of immediate, sort of short-term gratification around audience lift versus longer-term retention and subscriber-driven behavior. That's the more interesting thing for growth. So, just like my mother told me, you got to eat a lot more vegetables than candy.
0: Yep, makes sense. Now that you've now taken your experience, not only at New York Times but before at a brokerage and whatever else you're doing before that, and you're at Inman as the chief product and marketing officer. So what learnings are you applying to Inman that you've come across before?
1: It's a good timely question for me as well. I think one of the things that I think Inman is uniquely positioned to do is to really act as a very helpful, essential service in realtors and brokerages lives. We're a 25 year old organization and Thousands of people come to our conferences every year, whether that's in San Francisco or New York, and hundreds of thousands of people read our journalism every month. So I think there's a tremendous sort of moment right now where technology is sort of colliding in terms of like the influx of capital into the real estate category, whether that's through startups or investments or even different ways of like handling the transaction. So we hear a lot about things like people buying homes with Bitcoin or the sort of ongoing crypto currency conversation as it relates to real estate and investing. I think that that's like a fascinating thing for us. But on the other side, you have this sort of legacy technology system that's sort of struggling to consolidate and struggling to remain relevant. So... All of this is sort of colliding with increased disintermediation of the actual agent themselves. Like the value of the realtor is still very, very much in question, especially with younger users who are able to do a lot of what a realtor exclusively used to do. Younger users are more than happy to go do all this work on their own. They don't really want to, but they do. And there's this sort of amazing sort of like collision between this sort of the new way of thinking about transactions and then sort of the existing way of thinking about transactions. And I think that Inman. As a news organization that also provides service journalism and guides and insights and events and all those kinds of things, we're uniquely positioned to pull those conversations together and sort of be able to help chart a path for the particular individual that has questions. So this stuff comes with a tremendous amount of questions. So a lot of what we're doing at Inman, especially with our conferences, for example, we're actually doing less of the sort of focus on people talking from the stage, although that's still obviously something that we do. But we're inviting a lot of people to like come up from the audience and do like live problem solving as well. Mm. tested inside of the New York event in January and like actually having experts on stage, but having people from the audience just come up and be able to ask them stuff and solicit a more sort of organic conversation about what do I do with social media or what do I do with first-time buyers, all those kinds of things, that is like where it can be incredibly valuable. So a lot of what I'm talking about is really informed by like the service journalism stuff that i worked on at the New York Times, but applying it to a very, very specific moment within the real estate industry is, for me, very, very exciting thing to work on.
0: Makes a lot of sense. I can see easily how that would fit into a conference structure. How do you fit in the more organic conversation approach with writing stories and posting it online?
1: Yeah, that's a good one as well, because there's like the daily beat of like covering the news and that's our core product. This is what's going on in the world. But then there's also other things that we do. So there's other aspects in terms of like service journalism. So it might be just here's the guide to working with first time buyers or here's the specific set of recommendations surfaced from our community about whether you should start forming a team or not. Or here's the sort of latest thinking around commercial real estate and investing, that kind of stuff. So there's the Daily Beat, but then there's other sort of pillars of coverage that we do, whether it's service journalism. We do a tremendous amount of opinion work as well. Or sort of just use sort of more experimental things like things with video or things with visual forms of storytelling. So there's a very healthy mix between all of these things the core sort of daily beat is something that the editorial team is very focused on and then the service journalism is something that we leverage specifically on the subscriber side as well like we think that there's a, a really strong correlation between like not just understanding what's going on in the world but also having a strong sense of like actionable helpful advice available to you as a subscriber as well
0: what are those categories you said daily beat experimental things opinion and service journalism. And service journalism. Those are the main categories.
1: Yeah, I would say so. There's other things that we do, but those are the four broad, most important ones, I would say.
0: And are they all 25%? Or what's the percent breakdown, would you say? That is maybe not where you're at now, but what's your ideal breakdown?
1: That's a good question. And quite honestly, it's a really hard one to <laughs> vary day by day, depending on what's going on in the world but I'm sort of hesitant to give percentages because it depends on the specific realtor. So a specific realtor or a specific brokerage may be more interested in service journalism and they may have sort of a a greater use for it than an understanding of sort of an opinion piece that might be sort of less important to them, less relevant to them. So the degrees of helpfulness we try to sort of take a broad approach and be as helpful as possible to as many people as possible, but it really does depend on who you are in terms of like your use of the product and where you fall in terms of like percentage breakdown of what you engage with. Mm
0: -hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you're okay with this, I'd love to do kind of a pretend scenario. And the pretend scenario is you no longer work at Inman. You left on great terms, all good. So no burning bridges there. But instead, you've moved to partner, for whatever reason, you've moved to partner with a company that does not have the reach that Inman has. It doesn't have anywhere close to the reach that New York Times has. It's just a small brokerage. And for whatever reason, you've decided to join this small brokerage. And they said, Matthew, we'd like for you to be chief product and marketing officer and help us with our approach and maximizing the exposure while maximizing the revenue along the way. How do we get started? What do you do?
1: Wow, that's a very big question. So when I sort of think about that kind of problem, it's like, where is the unique value proposition? What is it specific to that particular brokerage that you can sort of really lean into? And I think when we started to sort of think about when I was in the brokerage world, a lot of where we landed There's a lot of opportunity to be unique as a brokerage. There's lots of customer surveys that sort of reinforce this idea that customers don't really understand the differences between brokerages, whether Mm -hmm. they're big or small. There's like a red one, a blue one, (laughs) a a yellow one, there's things like that. And I think there's enough surveys to really give sort of weight to that kind of argument. But I think it really starts with the agent. I've always been like a firm believer that the core of any sort of brokerage brand really lives and breathes or dies with the agents. Like if the agents don't buy into it, you don't win. And I think a good example of agents buying into a brand at the moment is something like Compass. Like those agents really believe it and they really live it, especially online. So I think that that's sort of like a good case study for sure. But I think finding the unique proposition is like a really interesting thing. So when I was in the brokerage world, for example, the sort of unique idea that we worked with when I was at Corcoran was what is around the four walls of the apartment building is just as much an important part of that transaction as what's inside the four walls. It's like a very, very simple idea. Mm -hmm. Going beyond the four walls of the apartment is the thing, right? And when you think about Zillow, a Trulia, or even just like a regular brokerage website, there isn't a whole lot that really answers the question: What does it feel like to live here? And if you can answer that question, then you really have something powerful. And I still think that like this is a massive space of opportunity for brokerages in particular, and I think that there's wealth of stuff that you can do with that one idea. So the idea of like really helping people to understand what does it really feel like to walk my dog on a Saturday morning and go and get my coffee? What's my commute going to feel like? How far away is the grocery store? and What kind of things do they have there? These are like very, very simple, very regular questions that inform the home purchase outside of the zeros and ones, the price and the square footage and the room count, things like that. Mm. But I think that there's sort of like this sort of database driven stuff that is informing search. but There's a very, very high emotional quotient that kind of goes with that stuff as well that is never really tapped into. And it's something that realtors know very, very well. So this is when I say, when I start with the realtors, digitizing what's in their heads in terms of like, which bar is the best one to go to on a Friday night? How do I order off the menu at the local Italian place? How do I cut the line to get into that particular store? Like all those kinds of things. Realtors know this, but none of it really translates to something like a brokerage website. So the idea of really investing in that kind of approach is really exciting for me. And the nice thing about it is the smaller the brokerage, actually the easier it is to do because you you have sort of like more available sort of material to work with. That's really hard inside of like a big brokerage. Like if you're like an international brokerage, like a a Mm -hmm. Coldwell or Sotheby's or something like that kind of project is like really challenging. But if you're in like a small brokerage, that would be like something that would be of interest
0: to me, I think. How do you identify what that value proposition should be?
1: For me, I always start by talking to customers. So understanding where our pain points are, understanding really the questions that they have in their heads and trying to sort of synthesize that kind of stuff into speaking as like a product person here, like synthesizing those things into a series of how might we statements. So like, how might we take the pain out of a realtor not being able to call somebody back in time? That's like a good problem to solve. How might we help people understand what it feels like to live there and what their weekends are going to be like? How might we help people understand what travel and commuting is like if they live in this particular place? So these kind of things all come out of just simply talking to users. So the more transparency and visibility you have into being able to talk to users, like this is one of the things that got me really excited about joining the Inman team is because we have hundreds of opportunities throughout the year, but specifically the events in New York and San Francisco where we have four to 5,000 users all in the same place, right? <laughs> and you just like soak it up for like a week and you really hear, wow, I, I had problems with your website or I couldn't read this or wouldn't it be great if you guys did this? And this tremendous sort of opportunity to learn from the people that interact with your stuff every day. And as a product person that runs a, a team here at Inman, to poke holes in all the assumptions of what we think is cool and to actually have users tell us what they need, not just what we think is cool. Number one, it's very humbling, but also it's like incredibly useful to hear what's not good. We kind of want to hear all the stuff that's broken and that's the best path to actually just making a great product,
0: I think. For Inman, the focus is acting as a helpful service for realtors and brokers. What is your best advice ever for real estate agents and brokers?
1: I get asked this one surprisingly frequently. And I think what I always say is just, be really good at saying no to stuff. Your time is your most valuable commodity. And I know a lot of people sort of say that, but it's really, really true. The customer is sort of paying for your time and attention. That's really sort of what the commission consists of. They're paying for that service, which really means time and attention. And I think having a very, very acute understanding of the value of your time and how you translate that to the customer is really really key so that does mean saying no to a lot of things it does mean saying you know what i'm not going to spend quite as much time on facebook and twitter as, as i used to because i didn't really need to just get back to that customer things like that so you have to sort of give up a tremendous amount as a realtor it's a very challenging profession and i really believe that but time is really the most valuable asset not just for you as a realtor but also for the customer as well, their time is very, very valuable. As well, so just having a very clear understanding and awareness and sensitivity to that, I think, is key.
0: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round?
1: Okay. What is this like? Say the first thing that comes into my head here.
0: Sure thing. You betcha. <laughs> that work for you?
1: I may filter it a touch. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I'll
0: do my best. We're about to get a good glimpse inside your mind, which sounds like it's going to be very entertaining. First, though, a quick word from our Best Ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Are you seeking investors, negotiating deals, and making things happen? The 7-Figure Sales Podcast has exactly what you need. Host Taylor Lote interviews real estate investors, sales trainers, and successful entrepreneurs to bring you their top sales secrets. Learn more at sevenfiguresalespodcast.com and listen on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Matthew, best ever book you've read?
1: Best ever book I read? Recently, I really enjoyed Ready Player One.
0: Ready Player One?
1: Yes, it's by a guy called Ernest Cline. It's going to be made into a Steven Spielberg movie later this year. Oh, sweet. Okay. Very good one.
0: What's a mistake you've made in business?
1: Not realizing that I have two customers inside of a brokerage. There's the real customer, the actual person selling their house, and then there's the agent. And not realizing that everything that we built had to reconcile for both people.
0: Mm. Best ever way you like to give back?
1: I really like to pay it forward at either the grocery store or at the drive-thru.
0: How do you do that?
1: I pay for the person behind me.
0: Hmm. Best ever way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you or learn more about what you got going on.
1: I'm in easy Google. I'm at Matthew Shadbolt on Twitter or facebook.com slash Matthew Shadbolt or I'm Matthew at Inman.com.
0: Outstanding. Well, Matthew, this was a much larger conversation than just brokerages and what you're doing at Inman. I mean, you provided insight that can help any entrepreneur, real estate or otherwise, create a brand or at least create the structure of a brand with the value proposition. Because regardless of what industry we're in, We need a unique value proposition. And you talked about an example of that. What is around the four walls is just as important what's outside of the four walls of the apartment and tapping into the emotional quotient of the customer and talking about what does it feel like to walk my dog and get coffee around this neighborhood and really honing in on that as a focus. And then you can then use that for the content that you create, which you talked about with both recreational stuff and service journalism at the New York Times, as well as the four categories that you have at inmen opinion, service journalism, experiential things like video and visual forms of storytelling, and the daily beat. So thank you so much for talking to us about your approach, sharing your expertise, really grateful for that. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Joe.
0: Pleasure. Are you seeking investors, negotiating deals, and making things happen? The 7 Figure Sales Podcast has exactly what you need. Host Taylor Lote interviews real estate investors, sales trainers, and successful entrepreneurs to bring you their top sales secrets. Learn more at 7figuresalespodcast.com and listen on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.